0: to giving financially, please visit our website, senecabaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Wasn't that special? Didn't the choir do a great job today? Praise God, choir, way to go. We're thankful for you. Uh, they have led us well this morning. Um, I want you to open your Bible, if you would, to Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to look at two verses. Two verses. Um, this is part two of last week's sermon, uh, and as I prepare, it's probably going to turn into part three for next week. Um, y'all know how I am. I'm sorry about that. I just I love God's word, and the more I dig into it, the more it opens up, and so I just I want to be faithful to it. And so uh, we're going to look at three and four, chapter three, three and four today in the book of Joshua. Are you ready? Amen. All right, I'm glad you are. It says, And the people, or in command of the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about two thousand cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may Know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Yesterday we started, or last weekend, we started a sermon series or or a sermon about unfamiliar paths. Unfamiliar paths. And, And honestly, I just feel like that is the world in which we live right now. You've never passed this way before. And I feel like that almost every day of my life. Some of you have become crossover people in the last six months, nine months, two years where something significant has happened in your life and you've been forced to cross over into unexpected territory. And so we are a crossover people walking unfamiliar paths. And in the book of Joshua, Moses has died. Their fearless leader of 40 years or more has died and now They are wandering, or they're they're ceased wandering. They're on the edge of the promised land. Joshua has been raised up as Moses' successor, and now is teaching them, instructing them about what to do to take the promised land, to come into the promised land. And so we are looking at unfamiliar paths. And I just want to remind you um, that last week we looked at, it says... Follow the ark. We looked at follow the ark, and the command was to follow the Lord, to follow the Lord. And if we want to be the kind of faithful people that God wants to take the land ahead of us, to be with Him in the mission that He's called us to, the first and most important thing we need to remind ourselves every day is to follow the Lord. And in verse 3, it talks about following the ark. And we looked last week at what the ark contained, And it contained really three things. The Ten Commandments. It contained those tablets. It potentially, and I'll say this potentially, it potentially contained all of the book of the covenant teaching from Genesis to Deuteronomy that was written at the time. So it would have been the moral teaching of God's people. It would have been an entire way of life packed into the ark. It would have been the uh, jar of manna. The jar of manna that was stored up by command of Moses and by command of the Lord put aside so they might remember not only God's word to them, but God's provision for them in miraculous ways. The ark or inside the ark was the jar of manna and third was, the Aaron's, or was Aaron's staff and how it had budded and brought forth flour and even almonds as a staff that had been cut off. And so it was just a reminder of God's supernatural uh, power and leadership. And so these things were contained inside the Ark of the Covenant. And then it represented for us two things. It was, or excuse me, three things. The presence of Yahweh among His people. The Ark was seen as the invisible, or the visible throne of God. The visible throne of God. So... Uh, the ark was the presence of Yahweh among His people. It was instruction uh, to His people. And third, it was the place where um, the mercy of God met the sin of people. The mercy of God met the sin of people. Uh, was this ark. It was uh, this amazing thing for each one of them. We looked last week at how the ark uh, pointed forward to Jesus. The ark pointed forward to Jesus who became the presence of God among us. He was God in the flesh. And, and it even says that, the word, was, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only God, the invisible God. He is full of grace and truth. He was God in the flesh given to us. So he, everything points to Jesus. Not only is Jesus the visible presence of God with us, but Jesus was the instruction of God to his people. Jesus said things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He was the instruction of God. He was the way, and if we follow Jesus, we will be led into the promised land safely. He was the place where the mercy of God met the sin of people, Jesus. Jesus was that place for you and for me. He calls him, God calls him Emmanuel with us. And so today we're going to look at. How do I follow the Lord? That sounds great, Ryan. I want to follow God. How do I do that? And last week we talked for a few minutes about the Holy Spirit. And I want to come back to the Holy Spirit. And time will tell if I'll actually make it through the Holy Spirit into the Word of God today. But the two ways that we follow the Lord are His Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I don't intend them in any specific order, but the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So, I want to ask. What is the Spirit's job? We talked a little last week about how in a Baptist church, we don't like to talk about the Spirit a whole lot. We like to keep Him in a proper place, because if we talk about Him too much, people just might think we're Pentecostal, right? And Lord knows, we camped this weekend uh, with uh, um, people from all over at the Trail Life Campout. And uh, right next to us, we had Mountain Rest Baptist. And on the other side of us, we had uh, Seneca Church of God of Prophecy. And so we had the Baptists and the Pentecostals doing dinners together. And it was just a Bapticostal meeting up there. And so it's just a fun time. But what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit was given to us as a gift. And we need to be aware of that. But what does he do? Jesus spends a lot of time in John 14 and 15 and 16 talking about what the Holy Spirit's purpose was. He convicts the world. He convicts the world. Let me just tell you, it's not your job or my job to convict you of sin. Have you ever tried to play the Holy Spirit in your children's life as you're raising your children? You've tried to be the Holy Spirit and tried to convict them of sin and tried to heap that guilt upon them so they understand what they were doing was wrong? Well, I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit's job in our lives is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's not my job. That's not your job. My job is to preach the Word and let the Spirit, by His power, do what only the Spirit can do. Jesus says the Spirit is going to teach us all things. He's going to guide us to all truth. He's going to do do that. Jesus says about the Spirit that He's going to bring all the things of Jesus to remembrance right when we need them. The spirit is supposed to point to Jesus. The Spirit is going to apply the work of the cross of Jesus Christ to your life and my life. The Holy Spirit is needed and necessary. It's not like an option on um, Burger King's menu where you can, have, you can say, "I'd like a, a big Mac and with a side of Holy Spirit." He's not optional in the Christian's life. He is necessary. He applies the work of Jesus to our lives through faith. He gives the church, the people of the church, necessary gifts. And you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, or the book of Romans chapter 12 and look at many of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and see what, how, how He intended all of these gifts to build the body of Christ. He helps us pray. Have you ever knelt down to try to pray and you just didn't have the words to pray because of the grief of your heart? or the concerns were overwhelming to you? The Bible says that even in those moments when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede for you to pray as you ought to be prayed for. And that's just good news. It's good news that we have a God who loves us that much, who gives us His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, according to the Word, reveals God's heart and explains God's Word. It says that no one can understand the heart of God without the Spirit of God, or the mind of God without the Spirit of God. And we need, as we read His Word, we need His Holy Spirit to understand. Now, hear me when I say this. A lot of times we talk about being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. And immediately, some of us, we think, well, that's just weird. I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. He might make me do things that are uncomfortable. And I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit will often lead you into uncomfortable places. But the filling of the Holy Spirit does not make you weird. He makes you useful. He makes you useful. That is His purpose. Now, I heard an illustration about how the Holy Spirit puts our minds and our thoughts in order. That we are like a disassembled vehicle. The Holy Spirit begins to put the pieces of our life together, connecting the wheels to the axle to the drive shaft, making the cogs connect together etc. And and the Holy Spirit then puts fire and power within the car to make it function as it should. And the Christian is put in order by the Holy Spirit of God, the mind renewed, the will aligned to God, and then fire put within empowering the Christian to keep the will of God and to be useful in his kingdom. So I want you to know, if, if we are that disassembled vehicle all of this is the, will, uh, the, the Spirit of God that puts us together according to His will and uses us in His kingdom. He wants to make us useful for service in His church. Do you remember last week we talked about, and I think even the week before we've just been on a constant theme of uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus says, it's better for you that I go. It's better for you that I go. Now, I still struggle with believing that. I still wish that Jesus I could, Jesus and I could sit down right here and have a conversation where I could look upon Him and I could see Him. And, and, and when paths get dark and when times get hard, I want for that more. But Jesus still reminds us that it's better for you that I go. It's better for you that I go. And in other words, Jesus says, and I'm going to say again, that, that the, the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than if Jesus were beside you. And that's how... How important Jesus saw the Holy Spirit, how necessary the Holy Spirit was from Jesus' perspective. It's better for you that I go. On the screen, we've got Galatians chapter five verse 16. He says, "I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, but to keep or they are to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Do you see those two phrases underlined up there? Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Remember, they're following the ark, and God commands the people of Israel, when you see the ark go out, follow it. Follow God's presence. How do we follow God's presence? We do so by walking by the Spirit, by being led by the Spirit. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that it is impossible to please God if we're not living by the Spirit of God. And so let me tell you what that means for some of us. When you are living your life in your own strength, it is impossible for you to please God. When you are living your life, anything out except out of intense dependence on God's Holy Spirit, we find ourselves impossible to please the One that we're trying to please. We need His Holy Spirit. Now, I want to come to a moment where we talk about grieving the Spirit. We talk about grieving the Spirit. Now, as I've been studying uh, for the past couple weeks, uh, it's almost like my mind has just been opened up a little bit more to this idea of grieving the Holy Spirit. I've had a book that's just played a a big role in my understanding of the Holy Spirit called Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall was a a Southern Baptist from from Kentucky. He went to Southern Seminary there in Louisville. And then he went to be the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. He did his uh, doctorate at Oxford. Do you know him, Dr. Hemphill? You know him? Okay. And so so just an incredible book. If you're looking for a book because you want to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, this is... A great book. And then this week, by God's providence, somebody plopped into my hand another book called Empowered, Why We Need Spirit-Filled Churches. And so I don't believe in accidents, but, but this has just been really helpful for me to understand what it means to grieve the Spirit, to grieve the Spirit. And we've got that passage up on the screen in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, each of us have been called to follow the Spirit, be led by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. Each one of us as believers, if you have trusted in Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior at the moment of your salvation, the moment where you bowed your knee and received the good news of God's gospel, the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross, when you received that, you also were imparted the Holy Spirit to come indwell you and live inside of you forever. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you but the bible speaks of our ability to do two things to grieve the spirit of god and to quench the spirit of god the holy spirit came like a fire in acts chapter 2 and i learned this weekend camping with a bunch of boys that you can quench a fire pretty easy you can quench a fire pretty easy now here's what boys do here's what boys do Boys, when they see a fire, every boy, bar none, is a uh, pyromaniac. And most men are too. We're just big boys, right? We love fires. And what a boy wants to do is, ooh, fire. I need to go find wood and put it on this here fire, right? And so here's what they would do. They would go, they'd leave the fire pit, they'd run through the woods like a group of heathens, and they would bring back all kinds of wood that was laying on the ground. Now, what was the problem with the wood that had been laying on the ground there in Mountain Rest all week long? It was wet. It was wet. I just, side note, I didn't take off my rubber boots almost the entire weekend. It was just a muddy mess. And so they'd bring their wet wood and they'd try to, try to put it on a, a fire that was going. What's going to happen to the fire? It's going to go out. Do you know that you, we can do that to the Holy Spirit in our life? We can quench Him by applying wet wood to the Holy Spirit. We can quench Him and we can grieve Him. Now, now understand. Let's read this passage and I want you to understand something. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 and 31, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice so he's talking about grieving the spirit he says don't do it now i want you to understand that when we grieve the whole spirit holy spirit it's not that we a lose the holy spirit or b lose our salvation a let's let's talk real can we lose our salvation if we have been truly saved can we lose our salvation no no we cannot It it is a divine impossibility for us to lose our salvation. Here's why. Jesus, who rose from the dead, would have to leave his heavenly throne and come back to earth and get in a tomb. That's what it would take for you and I to be able to lose our salvation. It was that finished through the work of Christ on the cross and through his resurrection from the tomb. It was sealed it was done. It was completed. His salvation has never been dependent on my action. His salvation has always been dependent on grace. So I can't ungrace myself. I can never outsend his grace. I can never outrun his mercy. Now, but some of us in this room might be mistaken, and we might claim a salvation that we have not truly possessed. But if we have truly been saved. We are forever saved. And if we have been indwelt by the Spirit, He will not leave us. But it says we can grieve Him. There's a story told about some missionaries. And the missionaries moved into a, a foreign land. And they, they were there in, a, in, a, in an unknown place. And in this unknown place, God kind of sent them a, a visitor. And every, every afternoon came this, this beautiful dove. It would fly down and the dove would nest in the eaves of their home. And the, the people, the missionaries, kind of saw this as a symbol from God. Like, man, this is God just showing us His love and His favor with us. And they loved the dove. And the dove began to build their, her nest in the eaves of their home. And the dove was living with them. But they noticed something. And I know you're not going to be able to believe this, but missionaries have fights in their home. Missionary couples, they argue occasionally. And they noticed that every time they would argue, or every time that they would yell, or when they would slam a door or a cabinet in the kitchen, that the dove would leave its place and fly away. And they noticed it. And one day... After some time of seeing the dove fly away when they began to get frustrated at one another. Now, I know you married people can't imagine being frustrated at your spouse, can you? Pray for those missionaries, right? But, but they noticed that the dove would leave and then after everything would settle down, the dove would come back. And one day, I, I think it was a wife came to the husband and said, what do you think about the dove living in our, our eaves? I love the dove. Me too. You know, have you noticed how every time we argue and every time we fight, the dove goes away and then the dove comes back? Yeah, I've noticed that too. You know, I really like the dove being here. And we have a choice. We can either let the dove adjust to us or we can adjust adjust to the dove. Well, they knew that the dove adjusting to them was kind of nonsensical. It wasn't going to happen. And so they made a decision together that they were going to adjust their lives to the dove. Now let me, let me just remind you that the, that the Holy Spirit is like a dove, right? He does not leave us. So if, if Liz and I would ever get into an argument, which never happens at the Perry household, if we were ever to get into an argument, the Holy Spirit will not leave us and then come back after we've got it all squared away but the sense of God's presence in our life can sometimes seem to lift. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like God, the the sense of his presence, you know the truth of his word that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you, but you don't feel the sense of his presence. Have you ever been there? That's sometimes the, the Holy Spirit, when we grieve the Spirit, the sense of His presence goes. We don't lose our salvation, and we do not lose the Spirit, but we do sometimes lose the Spirit's anointing, and we do lose the Spirit's power, and we do even lose the sense that He's with us. Have you ever sat down to read your Word? You're, you're doing what you know to do every morning, and you read your Bible reading plan, that we have out at the Welcome Center just for you, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, shameless plug, read your Bible. But have you ever sat down to read the Bible, you read your Bible, and then you, you got done, you said, by the first verse, I was distracted, and I was thinking about my to-do list, and I, by the first verse, I, I, I have no idea what I read after that. You ever been there? I'm going to ask a question. If the Bible reveals very clearly... In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that we cannot understand the things of God without the Spirit of God, or the mind of God without the Spirit of God, could it be that in those moments where we're so distracted, where we don't seem to hear from Him, could it be in those moments where we feel like God is being silent? Even though I'm reading His holy Word, could it be in those moments that I have grieved, his spirit somewhere. The sense of his presence has seemed to lift away. The anointing that I need to understand the word of God. John says in 1 John that we don't need a bunch of teachers. We got a teacher. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that if, if I'm opening the Word to read the Word, yet getting nothing out of it, could, I, could it be that I have grieved His Spirit somehow? Have you ever sat through a sermon and you said to yourself, I didn't get anything out of that. I got a question. Is it a word problem or is it a person problem? It's always a person problem. And, and listen, I know that sometimes I stand and I preach what I feel like might be the best sermon I've ever preached. And sometimes I stand and I preach and I know that was the worst sermon I've ever preached. But if God can use a donkey in the Old Testament, He can use a donkey today, okay? To speak to His people. And so I just want to remind us that sometimes we sit and we sit in a service and we get nothing out of it we leave unchanged and we leave unmoved. Could it be because we have grieved God's Spirit? The, um, in, in this book, uh, Empowered, I read this phrase, and it says, If the Spirit doesn't illuminate the mind of the person reading the Bible, the message of God's Word is as meaningless as if someone were preaching to you in Swahili right now. When we grieve the Spirit, we lose the sense of God's presence and we lose His power. I wonder if... If we don't experience the power of God in our individual lives and in our corporate lives as the church simply because we've grieved the Spirit and we haven't asked Him to fill us again, we have not repented of our sin and turned to Him and asked Him to fill us once again. I, we read Acts 2. God's Spirit moved powerfully. Do you think God's Spirit wants to move powerfully in His church today? Wake up, everybody. Do you think he wants his spirit to move powerfully today? All right, so is the problem? I'm not a cessationist. I do not believe God's Holy Spirit has ceased working and has stopped giving gifts to his people. I don't believe that to be true. I believe that the same Holy Spirit that was in the early church is the same Holy Spirit that desires to reside in you and do wonders in you and me. So is the problem in the spirit or the person problems in the vessel? And so I I just want to I want to ask, could it be that we're not experiencing the power of God because we as individuals and and corporately have grieved God's spirit and have not yet repented? You remember Samson, right? He had his lovely locks. And and uh, that old witchy woman cut him off. And when he did, what happened? He lost the power that came from the, the Spirit. Could it, could it be that, that we are sometimes so insensitive to the sensitivity of God's Holy Spirit that we have grieved Him and we're either unaware or don't care? I think it could be true so the question is how do we grieve the spirit and I want you to look back at the the screen up here it says do not grieve the spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption and then he immediately goes into this listen let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice so look what he, he notes bitterness wrath anger clamor slander be put away from you with all, along with all malice. R.T. Kendall here in his book, he says, Bitterness encapsulates resentment, anger, annoyance, being irritable and even impatient. Let me, let me read that again. Resentment, anger, annoyance, irritability, and impatience. All five of those happened to me this weekend at the camp out. Be- because there was we had some neighbors in our campsite who were up until midnight and then some neighbors not our kids by God's grace cuz you might have seen me at the post office with my FBI wanted poster of hurting somebody but our neighbors went to bed after midnight and our neighbors were up at 5:15 <sighs> bitterness anger I'm lay, I know what I'm preaching this weekend. I'm laying in the tent looking at the stars, going, Oh God, help me not to hurt somebody. <laughs> it's the earliest I'd ever cooked, four pounds of bacon. Resentment, anger, annoyance, being irritable, impatient. Have you ever have you ever been stuck in a line? whether it's of traffic or at the grocery store, and one or all of those things have risen up in your life, guess what? In those moments when we don't repent, those things are called sin, and in the moment we don't repent of those things, guess what the Spirit does? We've grieved Him. We've grieved Him in those moments. Now, I know that in church, uh, bitterness and anger um, and, and annoyance and irritability and impatience or clamor and slander all of those things are malice i know those things would never happen in church but guess what sometimes does in those other churches out there of course when when we lose our tempers and we act in anger that's wrath what's the opposite gentleness and self-control Clamor and slander, when we shout at people, clamor is kind of that idea of shouting. Slander is when I make false accusations or inaccurate statements in order to tear down someone's character. We grieve the spirit. Malice, that's when I wish ill will on somebody. I hope they get what's coming to them. What have we done? We've grieved the spirit. I hope they get what's coming. I hope they get punished. I hope they get caught. I hope their lies get exposed. That's ill will. And what have we done? We have grieved God's Spirit. So what do I do if I'm grieving God's Spirit? The only way to get out from grieving the Spirit of God is through repentance and faith. The same way you received the Gospel, you receive the Gospel again the same way you trusted Christ then at the time of your salvation is the same way you remedy grieving the spirit of God. You 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, it's up here on the screen, it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, when I realize that I've grieved his spirit through anger or rage or Um, uh, Or bitterness or malice or slander or whatever it is, when I realize that I've done those things, I must immediately or as soon as I can repent of those things to confess my sins and trust that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of us in this room, we've grieved His Spirit, and the only way we can get out of that is by confession and trusting once again. One pastor said it like this. He says, I define spirituality as the time gap between the time or the the, the moment that I committed sin and the moment that I repent. That's spirituality to him. How long, in other words, how long does it take to realize that I've sinned and admit that I've sinned? That's the measure of spirituality for this pastor. How long does it take us when we've grieved God's Spirit? How long does it take us to confess our sin and to repent of it? To realize it and to admit it? Some of us, it's years, months, weeks. And some of us, it's hours, days, or or minutes even. What's that that time gap? How much time in between the act of commission and the act of admission? I did this, Lord. See, if if we're going to follow the ark, we cannot follow the ark having grieved the Spirit without repentance. There is a way of the Holy Spirit. Not only can we grieve Him, but there is a way of the Holy Spirit. And if we think back to that that passage in Galatians 5, it says, walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Individually and corporately, we, if we're being led by the Spirit, following the way of the Spirit, corporately and individually, we can walk with God in unfamiliar paths with confidence. Our feet are standing firm in the middle of the raging Jordan, simply because we're following the ark of God. We're following His Holy Spirit. The Spirit won't lead us into error. Spirit won't lead us into sin or selfishness or arguing. The Bible says that when we're walking by the Spirit, we don't even need the law. Don't get caught up with following the Ten Commandments, is what Paul's saying. If you'll just walk by the Spirit, you won't need those as a guide, because when you're following the Spirit, you won't break God's command. See, the mission of God without the Spirit of God. Think about just His mission. The mission of God that God has called us to. His church. Go and make disciples of all nations. That mission is impossible without the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says it this way, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. One pastor, he said it like this, Jesus never intended His church to function under their power, their own power. In other words, we can be committed, we can be trained, we can be financially stable as a church, and we cannot make a dent in darkness because we're existing and operating in our own strength and power rather than His Holy Spirit. We can accomplish more in five minutes under the Spirit's power than we could in a lifetime apart from it. So how do I learn to be attentive to the Holy Spirit? Can I just... My life, it's not going to happen overnight. You don't learn to be attentive in a class. I can teach you as much as I can teach you about the Holy Spirit, which I feel like is not a lot. I can give you all the information about the Spirit and, and still not teach you how to do this. It does not happen in a pew. But it happens in everyday life as I learn to be attentive to His Spirit. But, you know, a couple things that I I can do. I've got a desire to walk by the Spirit. I've got to desire Him. I've got to welcome Him into my life. Every morning I wake up and I pray a similar prayer that goes something along these lines. One of these few ways. Holy Spirit... I need you to come crucify my flesh and to raise up this new man in its old place. Holy Spirit, I know there are things in me that need to die so that the resurrection of Jesus can, can come in me today. Holy Spirit, I know that there are things that you want to get rid of so that you can bring in these new things of this new life in Christ. I, I pray something like that because I know, I acknowledge how much I need Him. I've got to desire Him. I've got to welcome Him in. And, and I've got to surrender to Him. I've got to surrender to Him. And I've got to obey Him. Listen, when the Holy Spirit, that voice that whispers into your ear, do this, and you don't do this, it's like forming a callus on the heart and on the ears so the next time it will be more difficult to hear. But I I know we can't ignore the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church and please the Lord. We can't do it. R.T. Kendall wrote a bunch of books. I haven't read this one, uh, but one of them is called The Sensitivity of the Spirit. And he wanted to name that book The Hypersensitivity of the Spirit. And his publisher told him, don't do that, because hypersensitive in our world is not a good thing. But I want you to understand the truth that the Spirit is sensitive. He can be easily grieved. It's not because He's weak. And we need to become as sensitive to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is as sensitive to us. The Spirit who knows how to attend to our needs, we need to learn how to attend to Him. Why, Ryan, I don't even know if I have the Spirit. Well, I'd give you a test when you go home, open up your Bible to Galatians chapter 5, and I'd encourage you to read the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and examine your heart. My job is not to tell you what you are or aren't. My job is to ask you to open up God's Word and look at the perfect mirror of His Word And let the Holy Spirit convince you, convict you of where you are. So go home and read Galatians chapter 5. Ask Him, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you are. He gives you the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of His Spirit and see where you fall. Because Jesus said it this way a tree is known by its fruit. Before we can move into the promised land, before we can become the kind of church that God wants to use on his mission, we have to be following the ark of God. We've got to be following the presence of God that he has given to us, which is his Holy Spirit. We have to to follow him. And if we follow him, if we are attentive to him, church family, there's the gates of hell will not be able to stand against what God could do through his church. But otherwise we're fodder to a fire. I want our church, like it says in Joshua chapter 3, verse 17, that the the feet of the the priests who are bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. I want us to be that kind of people. Standing firmly because we are attentive to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I come to You today and I've prayed that I would speak by Your Spirit and I've prayed that You would explain by Your Spirit and I've prayed that You would work by Your Spirit. So now I've done all that I know to do. Would You do what I can? Help us, Lord. Father, there are some in this room who have we have by our actions grieved You. And if that's us, let us quickly this morning repent. Admit our sins. Confess them and trust in Jesus that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Teach us this morning what we've done what we might need to confess that we might be a church filled with your spirit following the Lord in unfamiliar paths we pray in Jesus' name amen so that's our that's our response